Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Sorry for the little delay there. <laughs> Had to take the uh, the mute button off. This is uh, Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical and Instructional Program. This is going to be a special program today that I'm going to do. I've never done this before. Um, it brings to memory when I had a debate. I guess it was a friendly debate until he got angry. But I got a I had a debate with a uh, Jewish conservative rabbi at Starbucks, and the conversation was pretty friendly till I got to a point where he realized that he he could not convince me that Jesus or Yeshua was not the Messiah, and I was using uh, proof from rabbinical writings and other sources that I think may have surprised him. So you don't need to know Hebrew, folk. I mean, it helps, but you really don't need to know Hebrew to understand how to prove that Jesus is the Messiah using the Tanakh, which uh, that stands for Torah, the prophets and the writings, the Old Testament. That's what we call it today. What you do need to understand is Jewish history and how they interpret the scriptures and how they have always thought of the Messiah. And so this program, and I don't know, it may be about an hour and a half or, or an hour, I don't know, but it's going to be as long as it needs to be to uh, clarify this. Now, this, this program is, is for believers, but it's certainly, this program is also for Jews, my fellow Jewish brethren, so that you can understand that the Messiah is whom the world knows is Jesus Christ, but Hebraically is Yeshua Messiah. And I'm going to, I could get, I could, I could have gotten complicated on this, but the purpose of me preaching, anyone preaching or teaching is for clarification. I can get scholarly, but I'm not going to, I'm going to break this down in a simple way so that even a little child can understand the logic. All right. So, Let's ask a big question, and this is something that I, I know that uh, people who are anti-missionaries uh, in, Jew- in Jerusalem and, and so forth, they really, really 
use the the premise that oh you don't know Hebrew so the King James version is is a horrible translation which it isn't by the way and because of that you you you're deceived about who the Messiah is well that's not true ladies and gentlemen and I'm going to give you some references well actually I'll give them to you now um, I think the person that's done a lot of research on this has helped me understand this. Uh, he's an expert at proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He's a Jew. His name is uh, Michael Brown, and he has a website called The Real Messiah. Now, a little disclaimer, he does believe, unfortunately, that um, only Jews need to keep the Torah. And so he doesn't understand that God is an equal opportunity lawgiver and he expects everyone to keep his his laws, uh, especially the Ten Commandments and, of course, all the other commandments that you can keep. And to prove that, this is a simple way that I use to prove this. If you um, go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and then also I'm just going to use the the Tanakh today. I'm just going to use the Old Testament. I'm not going to use one New Testament scripture, okay, or writing, because I know some Jews that are listening to this, they think it's just writings, all right? So what I'm going to use to do today, and I've never done this, I'm just going to quote out of the Old Testament to show you that if you know how to do it, you can identify who Yeshua is in the Old Testament, all right? So I've never done this before, and so I hope this this program will help people uh, that are believers in Jesus, and his Hebrew name is Yeshua, to be able to prove to anybody, even a Jew, using the King James Version, <laughs> that Jesus is the Messiah. So anyway, two scriptures I'm just going to use in the Old Testament to prove that mankind, actually three, that mankind should keep the whole Torah, not just the Jews, uh, the first one in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the earth, a land which Yodhevahe swore unto your fathers. Whenever you see that word Lord in the King James Version, it's the Tetragrammaton, and it's either Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. And that's as close as man has ever come to actually finding out the, the correct pronunciation of his name. Some people think it's Yahovah, some Yahweh. Uh, people are still arguing about that. But anyway, verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the master thy Yodevahe led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or no. In verse 3, And he humbled thee and allowed thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make thee know that man, is, is the state a Jew first? No. It says, or does it say a Jew folks? That's what I meant. <laughs> uh, it says man, and that Hebrew word for man is Adam. And I know you Jews that are listening to this, uh, you certainly understand that, Adam, and it means the human race. And so in this particular verse here, 
And keep in mind, I'm not using the New Testament. This is what God says here in the Old Testament, uh, that he might make thee know that mankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word, and that word was added, but that's a good addition, that proceeds out of the mouth of the master does man live. Let's see what the Jewish um, Publication Society translation, how does it translate that? Let me see. All right, well, this is what the Jewish public uh, Publication Society translation, the JPS version. In verse 3, And he afflicted thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the master, or his words, does man live. All right, so that, again, let me just emphasize, this is a powerful scripture. The Hebrew word for man is Adam. And this context is not just talking about the Jews or the 12 tribes. It's talking about the intention of Yodei Vahe wanting everyone to keep all the commandments. All right, so here's another one in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And then I'm going to go to Isaiah. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. I'm going to read this in the JPS version, the Jewish Publication Society version. The end of the matter, all having been heard. This is Solomon writing this. Fear yod and keep his mitzvah for our commandments. For this is the whole man. And the King James Version says it's the whole duty of man. All right. And verse 14, for Yode Vahe shall bring every work into the judgment concerning every hidden thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I also have what Jews say is the best English translation of the um, Masoretic text into English. And Jews approve of the Korean Jerusalem Bible. And so this Bible, of course, doesn't have the New Testament. It just has the Old Testament. And it says right here, the Korean edition, named after the printer, the Eliyahu Korn, that's his name, the topographer. Named after the printer and topographer, Eliyahu Korn, Eliyahu means Elijah in English, who published it as his life's work, excels in the accuracy, the beauty of letters, which Korn designed especially for this purpose and this aesthetic topography it is a model of good taste all right so this is they praise the the corn jerusalem bible all right so i'm going to go to if i can find it here ecclesiastes here and quote it from here because i like to do this especially when i, I talk to jews uh, about the holy scriptures i like to go to one and they feel comfortable with so ecclesiastes uh chapter 12. Yes, it says right here in what they consider the best England translation of the Masoretic text uh, to English, the Jews. It says right here, the end of the matter, when all is said and done, fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. Now, this, this says the whole duty of man, similar to the King James, all right? For Yod Vahe, it says God here, for God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it's good or whether it be evil. So, please, take a pencil and jot this down. Get the Corn Jerusalem Bible. And if you meet any Jew, they all know what this Bible is about, the ones that are religious. And quote from this. All right? Because a lot of them are 
deceived into thinking the King James Version is such a bad version. And the King James Version is similar to what I just quoted you out of the uh, the Corn Jerusalem Bible. So, so you got to know all the traps that that people try to get you into to convince you that Jesus or Yeshua is not the Messiah. So you have to know these things. You don't need to know Hebrew. You just need to know what they use to try to convince you otherwise. And one of the biggest things that they use, uh, anti-missionaries, is that you don't know Hebrew. Well, you know what? Folks, I'm learning Hebrew. But you know, I don't know Hebrew fluently. I'm learning. But I do know how to look up the original words. That's the next best thing. And that's what I suggest you do. Uh, Strong's Concordance is just the beginning. You need a lexicon. You need to subscribe to Logos.com where you can actually look up the original words, give you the pronunciation, and so forth. And also, it would help to take a course on Hebrew. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not required, but if you don't want to do what I do, <laughs> I, I, I lean heavily on lexicon. Um, then if you want to learn a language where you don't need you, you'll be a living lexicon. Then, yeah, learn, learn the language, but it's not necessary. What's necessary is wisdom and understanding the Bible, okay, which you don't need to know Hebrew to understand the Bible. The Bible is translated in over two to 3,000 different languages. The reason why I'm so into wanting to learn Hebrew is because I want to be able to sit down with my Jewish brethren and in Hebrew talk to them and have a conversation and also use their Hebrew text to prove out of the Hebrew text that. Yeshua is the Messiah. So that's the reason why I'm doing it. So anyway, is Yeshua identified in the Old Testament? Yes. Now, Judaism teaches the death of the righteous. Now, this is the big issue that they use. This is the big issue, and I know that this program is going to go over 45 minutes, so it's going to probably be maybe even two hours. So, But this is a, um, a, a very important topic. So so Judaism teaches the death of the righteous brings atonement to the world. According to the Zohar, it's a, it's a Jewish writing, as long as Israel dwelt in the Holy Land, the rituals and the sacrifices they performed in the temple removed all those diseases from the world. Now the Messiah removes them uh, from the children of the world. Okay? And so that is from the Zohar. That's for, uh, one of the Jewish writings. And Rabbi Hia Bar Abba said, well, the, the reference to that Zohar is a 2 colon 2128. 2, 2, and Rabbi Hia Bar Abba said, the sons of Aaron, Nadib and Abihu, died the first day of Nisan. Why then does the Torah mention their death in conjunction with the Day of Atonement, which is one of God's feast days? It is incorrectly taught that it's a Jewish day. No, it's one of God's feast day. He never says it's a Jewish day in Leviticus chapter 23 or the other places where he commands mankind, not just the Jews, to observe the day. Uh, he says, it is to teach that just as the day of atonement atones, so also the death of the righteous atones. Now, this is in the Jewish writings again, in Leviticus Rabbah 20, verse 12. Leviticus Rabbah 20, verse 12. It teaches that uh, it says the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, died the first day of Nisan. Why then does the Torah mention their death in conjunction with the Day of Atonement? It is to teach that just as the Day of Atonement atones, so also the death 
of the righteous atones. Now, scriptures from the Tanakh or the Old Testament that reveal the death of the righteous atone. We have 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses uh, 1 to 14. I'm just, this is just, that's one example. I'm not going to quote that, but that's one example to uh, look at because I because of lack of time. Numbers. Numbers. Chapter 8, verse 19. I'm going to read this in the King James Version here. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the children of Israel to do the service of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of the congregation and to make an atonement. And so the Levites were given to make an atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come into the sanctuary. So that's important to understand. Now, the scripture that I forgot last week that now I remember, uh, this is the one that I saw someone use on Facebook to say, see, see, uh, this is Numbers chapter 24, is it verse 16? Yeah, I guess I misquoted again here. My goodness, let me see. Uh, Numbers 24, oh, no, I didn't. Let me go to this reference that I have here, and I'll be able to quote the, the correct scripture here. Yes, Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. So it's Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. I'm going to have to change the, uh, the uh, advertising of this episode. That was a misquote. Anyway, Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, says, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sins. So Jews use that and say, aha, aha, that proves that um, Messiah or Yeshua can't be the Messiah. Okay, so I'm quoting from Answering Jewish Objections to Yeshua or Jesus by Michael Brown on page 295. He says right here, according to some biblical interpreters, Lamentations 5 or 7 seems to teach the opposite of this. Our fathers sin and, and no more, and we bear their punishment. I address this issue as follows in my article, Lamentations, so he wrote an article about it. And he states here, did not the prophets declare that the saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, will no longer be spoken in Israel? That's in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29 to 32, and Ezekiel 18, verse 2 to 4. And did not Deuteronomy 24, 16 state that the sons would not be put to death for the sins of their fathers? Actually, the latter verse, as elsewhere, in, as revealed elsewhere in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 14, verse 6, and 2 Chronicles 25, verse 4, simply refers to the judicial punishment alone. Moreover, the principle of Exodus 20, verse 5 was never revoked, that the master visits the sins of one sinning generation upon the next sinning generation. In other words, if the, the sons and the daughters, they continue to sin like their ancestors, then yes, he's going to continue to curse them. But if they stop, as Ezekiel chapter 18 reveals, then he will not allow those curses to continue. And that's only fair. That's only fair. It says, however, the sour grapes oracles coming as they do in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel spell the beginning of the end of a cycle. 
previous generations in particular, that of Manasseh, 2 Kings 24, verse 1 to 4, sinned grievously, leaving a legacy of judgment to come hanging over the heads of their descendants. The sour grace pronouncement delivered in Jeremiah in the context of restoration problems throughout chapter 31 and immediately before the new covenant uh, section in uh, 31, verse 31 and 34, that's Jeremiah, states that in these days of prophesied national renewal and blessing, no legacy of judgment would be left for the future. Rather, there would be immediate retribution for sin. This was to be considered a blessing. See also Ezekiel 18, verse 2, where a slightly different perspective is clarified that the righteous children would not be punished for the sins of their unrighteous fathers. Okay, so that should answer that question, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. It states that every man should be put to death for, for his own sin. That's true. Should be put to death for his own sin. However, when you look at the other scriptures, and I just quoted you some scriptures, and I'm going to continue to quote you some scriptures, that the death does, a righteous man's death does atone. Numbers chapter 25. And Israel bowed and shit him, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat and bow to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal-peor, and the anger of the master was kindled against Israel. And the master said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, and hang them up before the master against the sun, that the fierce anger of the master may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Say, say every one of his men that were joined unto Baal-peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought and to his brethren and Medianitish women in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when uh, Phineas, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. As, as Phineas, I'm sorry, Phineas. And verse 8, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were 24,000. So the zeal of Phinehas, and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my wrath away from the children of Israel. While he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and she, he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of the everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Here we go again, that concept with atonement. All right, and in Numbers chapter 35, Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35, starting on verse 25. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whether he was fled, and he shall abide in it until the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. So, again, that is an example of, and that kind of pictures Yeshua in a way, because he is a priest. And so the death of the high priest, let me read the rest of it, verse 26 of Numbers 35. But if the slayer shall at any time come about the border of the city of his refuge, which he was fled, 
Verse 27, and the revenger of blood find him within the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood killed the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. Verse 28, but because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. Here we go again. All right. So it, this is about knowing the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Four to six. Surely. Now this is um, Isaiah 53 is not in the Torah portion. All right. So I just want to let you know they skip it entirely. So Isaiah 53, I wonder why. Anyway, Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his way, and the master has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. And then you read this, it cannot be talking about what um, I think is either Rashi or, or Rambam or Maimonides. They came up uh, with the, I think it was Rashi came up with the idea that this is referring to Israel. Uh, no, this is return, referring to a specific person. And before Rashi or Maimonides, I think it was Rashi, uh, in Sanhedrin 98 verse be. They understood that Isaiah 53 verse 4 was talking about the Messiah. And I have the quote here, and you can look it up yourself in the Talmud if you want. Uh, B. Sanhedrin 98B as in boy says the rabbi said, his name Messiah's name based on the context is the leper scholar as it is written. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him a leper, smitten of God and afflicted. This is in Sanhedrin 98, verse B, or B. Uh, it's, they understand that this was referring to the Messiah. All right, so also in Isaiah 53, verse 12. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bared the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That certainly can't be talking about, and you read the whole entire context, it's not talking about uh, a nation or a group of people, it's talking about a specific individual that fits what happened to Jesus when he was on earth, ladies and gentlemen. It matches him perfectly. Anyway, now here's a real, real difficult subject for Jews who are listening to me or those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Scriptures and divine. Scriptures from the Tanakh that prove the divinity of the Messiah. So let's go to Genesis 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. And let me ask you a question. Can a man beat a demon? Can a man beat Hasatan or the adversary? That's what the Jews call him, the adversary. No. So let's understand that point first. And so in the third chapter of Genesis, the Messiah is, is all in this. All right. Right here. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and a woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so 
that prophecy, that prophecy is very important to understand. And I need to get this reference here that will go into further detail about this. And Genesis 3, verse 15, there is another translation that, that is more Hebraic. It gives a little deeper understanding of it. And I'm going to read this to you, and it's a pretty interesting translation. This is from the Targum pseudo Yonatan, okay? And the Targums were translations that were done because, remember when the Jewish people, if you understand your history, they were taken over by the king of Babylon. And they assimilated into that culture, and they acquired uh, Aramaic, and they forgot the Jewish uh, language or Hebrew. And so this happened prior to the first century, during the first century, and after the first century. And uh, the, uh, the Old Testament or Tanakh was translated into Aramaic. All right, so that gives you the backdrop there. And so this particular Aramaic scripture here, and it's, it's a paraphrase and a translation. And a lot of, you know, a good portion of the paraphrases make sense. And this certainly makes sense here in Genesis 3, verse 15. It states here in the Targum, it says, And it shall be that when the sons of the woman consider the Torah and observe its instruction, they will be prepared to smite your head to kill you. Now, in this context, the woman's seed is talking about mankind. And so, again, it's not just Jewish specific. Um, it says, and they will be prepared to smite your head to kill you. But when the sons of the woman forsake the commandment of the Torah and do not observe its instruction, you will be able to wound them in their heel. Now, the word heel, I, I must say this. The word heel in Hebrew is a key, and it's the same root from which the name Jacob is derived. So, so yes, this prophecy certainly has something to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. But, we are all children of the women, right? I mean, naturally, but we're going to make sure that we're not the children of the devil because that's, that's the two that are being compared here. So anyway, it says, and it will be that when the sons of the woman consider the Torah and observe its destruction, they will be prepared to smite your head to kill you. And so it states that. But when the sons of the woman forsake the commandment of the Torah and do not observe its destruction, you will be able to wound them in their heel and harm them. Nevertheless, there will be a remedy for the sons of the woman, but for you, serpent, there will be no remedy. For the sons of the woman, there will be a remedy for the wounded. Heal in the days of the Messiah, King. And that's interesting. So it, that's a very good translation. But something supernatural is going to occur because the, the children of the woman cannot overcome the devil unless there's something supernatural involved. And so they saw that this has something to do with the Messiah. And so I just wanted to to emphasize that. Okay, so continuing on here, and uh, we have about, what, 15 minutes left before I go off the air, but this, as all my programs, will be in the archives, so so I'm trying to go over it a little quickly here, so you'll have a, uh, a general idea of where I'm going with this. All right, Gen uh, Genesis chapter 3, before you have to wait another hour for the rest of the program. Anyway, Genesis 3, verse 22, and the, and the master said, behold, the man has is, is become as one of us. And so this is an occurrence where we're understanding, well, God is talking about himself as us. 
And so Elohim is, 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 uh, is a plural form in the Hebrew. And that's what God has translated most of the time in, in the uh, Old Testament, Elohim. It says, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now that night he put forth his hand and takes also the tree of life, eat and live forever. Okay, now a little disclaimer. I don't believe that God is uh, God consists of the Holy Spirit and Yeshua and, and the Father. He's not a trinity, although he reveals himself in, in three different ways. What you're going to find here is that Yodhe consists in the Father and the Son. That's what you're going to find as we, as we, as we go through this. All right, and the Son certainly is not greater than his Father. All right, and believe it or not, in the Tanakh, there is that concept. There is a scripture that reveals that the father has a son. All right. So in Genesis 11, verse 6 to 7. So right now what we're doing is proving just using the Old Testament that the Messiah is divine. All right. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 6 to 7. It says, and the master said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained to them which they have imagined to do. So go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So again, we have God describing himself as more than one, <laughs> even though he is Ahad, and I'm going to explain what that means hebraically uh, in, a, in, in, in this program. All right, so Joshua 5, verse 13 to 15. Joshua 5. Joshua 5, verse 13 to 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. So keep in mind that the scriptures are saying that this is a man. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? In verse 14. And he says, No, but as the captain of the host of the master. So this man that had a sword stated his title. He said he's the captain of the host of the master. All right. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What says my master unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place where you stand is Kedosh or holy. All right, so let's, let's understand. This is a man, but this man was worthy of worship. And so this man must have had something to do with God himself because he states here in verse 15, And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. I love this title because it gives you a hint of Yeshua right here. It says he's the captain of the Lord's host. Okay? And he associates himself with being so holy that Joshua had to loose his shoe from off his foot for the place where he stands is Kedosh. Now, where do we get this concept that this phraseology has something to do with being in the presence of yod Well, it's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 to 6. Exodus chapter 3, 
verse 2 to 6. It says, And the angel of the master appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. Okay, and then in verse 4, back to the chapter 3, and when the master saw that he turned aside to see, Yodavah called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am, verse 5. And he said, draw not near, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Same phraseology, similar phraseology. And they're both linked to being in the presence of Yodavah in verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the Yodevahe of thy father, the Yodevahe of Abraham, the Yodevahe of Yitzhak or Isaac, and the Yodevahe of Yaakov or Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon Yodevahe. Okay, so folks, we should be seeing a pattern here. And keep in mind, I am not using the New Testament. Right now, you should be seeing, just using the scriptures, King James Version, some other versions that I use, that God, even though he's a hod, there's some, someone else, too. There's like a team, all right? And so let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, a father and son team, as you're going to find. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu. All right, anyway, that's how you say it, a little bit of it in Hebrew. But in English, it's Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So, Hear, O Israel, the master, uh, Yodevahe, is one master. Verse 5. All right, so here's the thing that anti missionaries use, I would say effectively to those that don't know any better. But the word one is translated ahad. It's ahad in Hebrew, all right? And that word means a composite unity, but they don't tell you that. Now, Rambam, or Maimonides, was one of the greatest Jewish scholars of all time. He said that that word one is yahid, and yahid means only one. But ahad means a composite unity, okay? And so that is the correct rendering. It's not, it's not yahid, it is ahad. And so for any Jew that's listening to this, that is the truth. And you can look it up. Rambam came up with that. That is not scriptural. The correct word for one, inishima, is ahad, one, all right? So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one master. Shema Israel, Adonai Elanehu, Adonai Achad. Okay, so that's that's what it is. All right. All right. So so you have this scripture. Revealing who God is. He's a composite unity. That's what he is. All right, so Isaiah 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, verse 14. 
Therefore, the master himself shall give you a son. Behold, a virgin. And I'm not going to go into these arguments about whether it's a virgin or not. That's not the point I'm trying to make today. Although, yes, it's a young woman and, and, and more than, and, and the, the context of this, and I don't have time to go over a lengthy study on this, but if you want an article that was already written by, by this to prove that, yes, this is certainly referring to a virgin, just email me at canard at merciful servants of God, and I'll be glad to send it to you. But anyway, it says, therefore, but that's not what I want to focus. I want to focus on uh, Emmanuel, okay? Therefore, the master himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So what does Emmanuel mean? Well, the Hebrew for it is my, uh, here we go, word study. Emmanuel. It means God with us. That's what it means. God is with us. And this is a prophecy of the Messiah, one of the many in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and his government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty, it says the same thing in Hebrew first, folks. Uh, the everlasting father, the, the prince of Shalom. Of uh, the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And people say they accredit this to a human king. No, this is talking about a divine king, folks. Uh, of the increase of his government and peace, shall there be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the master will perform this. All right, so a clear picture should be formulating here in Isaiah chapter 11. You got to put all these scriptures together. And there shall come, it's verse 1, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of Yodevahi shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the master. Verse 3. I want you to notice that this is supernatural that is being said about the Messiah here. And most Jews understand that this is referring to the Messiah. Isaiah 11, verse 3, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the master, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. And so this Messiah won't need to see, and he won't need to hear to judge. That is supernatural. I don't know if you realize it or not, but that is supernatural there. Isaiah 44. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 44, oh, 43, verse 10 to 12. Isaiah 43, verse 10 to 12. You are my witnesses, says the master, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no Elohim. Form, neither shall there be after me. When people see this, oh, it's just one being called Elohim, and that's it. But that's not what we're finding out here. And in verse 11, I, even I, am the master, and beside me there is no Savior. Again, we understand that Yodevahe is us. He's a compound unity. Okay? And this is interesting because if you can, you can take the word even now. It's just I, I. It says I, I. And why is it I repeated two times in that scripture? 
And that's interesting. So I'm about to go off the air here. But please, listen to this program in its uh, entirety. Uh, it will be completed, I'm assuming, in the next hour or sooner. And then you'll be able to get in the archives in about a couple of hours from 8.14 Eastern Standard Time. But this scripture is interesting. Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, I am the master, and beside me there is no Savior. That is very interesting there. Okay, so I'm in the recorded session here. So Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the master, the king of Israel and his redeemer. So we have, says the master, the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So that explains the Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, I thing, right? It says, I am the first and I am the last and besides me there is no Yodevahe. All right. Isaiah 48, verse 16 and 17. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I, and now the master, and his spirit has sent me. So here's the triunity of Yodevahe, and you see that he talks about I, and then now the master and his spirit has sent me. All right, that is a real good scripture to quote out of the Old Testament to see the triunity of God, that God certainly consists of the Father, the Son, and his power, his presence, the Holy Spirit, okay? But he's not a trinity. There's not three gods and one God, okay? That's, that's not what the scriptures, they don't indicate that, although it does indicate that God does tend to reveal himself in three different ways. All right. And in verse 17 of Isaiah 48, thus says the master, thy redeemer, the holy one of Israel, I am the master, thy God, which teaches thee the prophet, which lead thee by the way that thou should go. All right. Psalm 45, verse 1 to 7. Psalm 45, verse 1 to 7. To the chief musician upon Shushanan, for the sons of Korah, Mashkil, a son of love, my heart is Indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the, is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, Yodevahe has blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, or most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. In verse 4, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, wherein the people fall under thee. Verse 6 is the scripture I want to point to, and this is in the Hebrew first, folks, even though it's not translated in some Jewish translations properly because they don't want you to understand that the Messiah is divine. Isaiah 45, verse 6, Thy throne, O Elohim, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Verse 7, Thou love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, Elohim, thy Elohim, have anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And so the key verse here, verse 7, thou lovest righteousness and hatest, what does it say in the JPS? I think they, uh, 
may have watered that. No, in the JPS, the old version, it says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellow. So that is the correct translation. I know the corn version doesn't have that. They watered that down. That is the correct translation, and you can look in the Hebrew to verify that. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 1 to 4. Psalm 110, verse 1 to 4. It says, The Psalm of David, the Master says unto my Master, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And you'll see the significance of this when I talk about Metatron. Metatron was a concept that the Jews came up with to help them to understand what I'm explaining to you that Obviously, there are two powers in heaven. <laughs> and so, and here, here, here we are in Psalm 110, verse 1, the Psalm of David, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And so there's another power that sits into the right hand of the Father, of, of another being, right? Verse 2, the rod of thy strength of the master was sent out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people offer themselves willingly in the day of thy warfare and adornments of holiness from the womb of the, the dawn. Thine is the dew of the youth. I'm reading this in the JPS. Verse 4. The master has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest or a coin forever after the manner of Melchizedek. Or Melchizedek. Verse 5. And the master at thy right hand does crush kings in the day of his wrath. And so it's saying that here, let me let me go back to the King James here, so I could give you this word. Um, let's see, King James it says, "The Lord at thy right hand and Adonai." It means this word is used for God. It means Lord, and is used in the place of the divine name. Why? This designation points to the supreme authority and power of God. And so that's what that means. So this word is being used to say that this being is divine, that he is an alien. The Lord at thy right hand. And what? which Lord at the right hand? The one in, in the first verse of Psalm 110. The master said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. And so in verse 5 of Psalm 110, it says, the master at thy right hand shall strike. Through kings in the day of his wrath. In verse 6, he shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall ruin the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. And this is talking about two powers. One sitting on a throne. One at the right of the throne. And you're going to find out that the one sitting on the throne is the father. And the one sitting across is the Messiah. His son. It's incredible revelation. And again, I'm not using the Old Testament. Uh, I mean, the New Testament. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13. I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. How can a man come with the clouds of heaven if he's not divine, first of all? Okay. Uh, and came to the ancient of days. So this being that came with the clouds of heaven went to another being. 
and they brought him near before him. So picture this, this sight. And verse 14, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. All right, so you picture this son of man figure. He looks like a man, but he's divine. And he's being taken up in the clouds of heaven to meet this other divine being. That's greater than him, obviously, because glory was given to the man in the clouds, the son of man, by this ancient of days that was sitting on the throne. The ancient of days is the father, obviously. All right. Is Yodevahe, the supreme Yodevahe. All right. Continue on. Now, here's a scripture that, oh, let me read the rest of this so you get the context here. Daniel 7, verse 15. I, Daniel was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and, and, and the visions of my head troubled me. In verse 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the, of the thing. Verse 17, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the four beasts, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped a residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had the eyes and the mouth that spake very great things, his look was more stout than his fellow. In verse 21, I beheld, and the same horn may war with the saints and prevailed against them. In verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came. And so this Son of Man is now called the Ancient of Days. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So the Son of Man that went up from the clouds of heaven to meet the Ancient of Days is linked with the Ancient of Days. He represents the Ancient of Days. Proverbs 30, verse 4 is a real important scripture in this Bible study. Proverbs 30, verse 4 says, Who have ascended up to heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If you can tell. It's like God put this in here because he knew there would be many Jews that would be doubting who the Messiah is. So he purposely put this in here to get you to think. Let me read this again. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended up into heaven or descended? I just read to you in Daniel that the Son of Man in the cloud was risen up into heaven. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in the garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you can tell, that is in the Hebrew. You don't. It's nothing you can do to avoid that. It's right there for you to see. Zechariah chapter fourteen. Zechariah chapter fourteen is another one. And boy, is it revealed. Zechariah fourteen verse one. Behold, the day of the master comes, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. That word for Lord is. Yo, they buy, hey, 
The word refers to the proper name of the God of Israel. Verse 2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished or raped, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3, then shall the master go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet, and so God has feet, okay? And obviously, he's looking like a man here. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst there toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And so you read the rest of this. Obviously, this is talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is Yodevahe, folks. He's Yodevahe. He's Yodevahe, the son. All right, and that is the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, Yodevahe. All right, so I already covered the difference between Ahad and also Yahid, okay? Yahid is not used in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. For one, Ahad is, which is a composite unity. The anti-missionaries will not tell you that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the master already, okay, I already read that about understanding that. Now, here's a scripture that I didn't show you. In Genesis chapter 19. It's another interesting scripture. You got to put them all together. Genesis chapter 19, verse 24. Then the master, yod heh the Tetragrammaton, rained upon Solomon upon Gomorrah, brimstone, and fire from the master out of heaven. Let me read that to you again. Genesis 19, verse 24. Then Yodivahe rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Yodivahe out of heaven. So there's a Yodivahe out of heaven was raining something. And then there was another Yodivahe. <laughs> and this right here in Genesis 19, verse 24. Then Yodivahe rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Yodivahe out of heaven. Isn't that interesting? And then it talks about in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, And Yonevahe appeared unto him in the plains of memory. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he appeared as a man. And I understand God is not a man, but the question is, can he appear as a man? He has. I'm not using the New Testament. Is proven in the New Testament he appeared as a man. Okay. And so let's this leads us to the concept of the word of the Lord. This is not just a New Testament concept, ladies and gentlemen. You have to do your study. The word word in Aramaic is memra. The memra concept is in the um the target. The Aramaic Targums that I told you about. Now, the Targums, again, to refresh your memory, are translations and paraphrases of the Hebrew scriptures that were read in synagogues before, during, and after the first century. At that time, a good portion of Jews did not understand Hebrew because they were taken into captivity by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Many of them grew up speaking and reading Aramaic. That's the reason why some parts of Daniel 
is in Aramaic. And, of course, we have the Targums. So in Genesis 3, verse 8, Genesis 3. So let's focus on the concept of the word of God, which is not just a New Testament concept, folks. It, it came from Jews, that concept. Genesis chapter 3. No anti-missionary will tell you that either. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the master walking. So they heard a voice. They heard the voice of the master walking. So the voice of the master was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And Adam and his wife, so anyway, so this talks about the voice of the master was walking. It's interesting, the phrase, the voice of the master. Well, the Targums translates this a, a lot better, a lot clearer for you to understand. And, and it states this particular translation. In the Targum, it says, and they heard the sound of the word of the master walking in the midst of the garden. So it says, they heard the sound of the word of the master walking in the midst of the garden. So this verse actually reveals the word of God. The word of God, as you're going to find, is the Messiah. It's the Messiah. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 to 21. I'm going to read this in the target. Genesis 28, verse 20 to 21. And so I'm going to read this in the, uh, in the Targum version so, so you can see what I'm talking about here. All right, so it states here in the Hebrew, it reads, it says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father so then the Lord will be my God. So that's in the Hebrew. But here is what the Targum says. If the word of the Lord will be with me, then the word of the Lord will be my God. So that's what it says in the Targum. It says, if the word of the master will be with me, then the word of the Lord will be my God. And so it says, the word of the master will be Jacob's God. And I'm just quoting from answering Jewish objections to Jesus by Mr. Michael Brown or Dr. Michael Brown. And he, and he states here on page 21, and this was read in the synagogues for decades, if not centuries. Week in and week out, the people heard about this walking, talking, creating, saving, delivering word, the word who was Jacob, God. And this is a Jewish concept, ladies and gentlemen. This is a Jewish concept. And so, yes, God is not a man. But let's read the context of that scripture in Numbers. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, that he said and shall not do it. And, and has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? So, what this is saying is that God does not sin like a man. He doesn't have flaws like a man. But it doesn't say that he can't appear as a man. I've already showed you that he has. I'm going to continue to show you. In Exodus 24, verse 7 to 14. Exodus 24, verse 7 to 14. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. 
And they said, all that the master has said, we will do and be obedient. Verse 8, and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the master has made with you concerning all these words. In verse 9, then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadir and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. Verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel. Let me repeat that two more times. And they saw the God of Israel again. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet. So obviously he's looking like a man here. He got feet. As it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, which was a bluish color, beautiful color. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearance. And so his feet appeared as it were, paved work of a sapphire stone. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. So his feet under his feet was a paved work of a beautiful bluish stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearance. Verse 11, and upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw Yodavahe and did eat and drink. And so they saw him and they ate and drank with him. Verse 12, and the master said unto Moses, come up to the, into the, mount, into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and the Torah and the commandments which I have written that they, that thou may teach them. And in verse 13, and Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God, in verse 14, and he said unto the elders, wait ye here for us until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto me. All right, so this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. It reveals that God appeared as a man to be seen. It's right there for you to see. Exodus 33, verse 18 to 23. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And so, Moshe wanted, or Moses wanted to see God in his glory. And, and no one can see his face and, and his glory. But obviously you can see certain parts of his body as you're about to find out. Verse 19. Or if he manifests himself into a man, you can see him. All right. Verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the master before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In verse 20. And he said, you cannot see my face for there shall no man see me and live. That's talking about his face in his glorified state, obviously. Verse 21, and the master said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back parts with my face shall not be seen. And so obviously, uh, Moses wanted to see him in his Shekinah glory, or his glorified state, and Moses could see parts of his body in glorified state, but he couldn't see his face. All right. So the Messiah is divine. I've showed you scriptures already proved that. Now the Messiah comes from the line of King David and is worthy of worship because he is the son of David. And I don't have time to, to quote all these scriptures, but 1 Samuel 17, verse 58, Isaiah chapter 11, Psalm 72, verse 11, 1 Chronicles 20, 9 verse 20, Psalm 18 verse 44, Jeremiah 30 verse 9, 
uh, I read 30 verse 4 and Psalm 80 verse 14 to 17. Look those up. It proves that King David and his sons were worthy of worship. King David and his sons, uh, uh, Melchizedek, king priests. And this is proven in 2 Samuel 8 verse 18. Um, let me see if I can find that one particular scripture where it says that they're calling him. They're calling him. And Yeshua, of course, came from David, right? Second uh, Samuel, chapter 8, verse 18. Right. And reading this uh, in the King James, it says chief rulers, but that word chief should be calling. That's, that's the Hebrew word, calling. All right. And so I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, uh, David's sons were calling him, all right? And so that's a fascinating scripture. And I don't have time to go into detail, but I'll, I can give you the scriptures. You can look it up for yourself. It's uh, 2 Samuel 8, verse 18, and 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 25, 1 Chronicles 15, verse 27. I already read you Psalm 110, verse 1 to 7, and Zechariah 6, verse 12 to 14. Now, a son of David is God's son. This is, this is found in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8 to 17, and the popular Psalm chapter 2. All right, so let's go over the, the concept of Metatron. Metatron. What, what is Metatron? Well, Metatron was the rabbi's um, explanation for the following verse here in Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 23. Behold, I sent an angel, and that word is capitalized, and even the King James uh, translators, they realize the importance of Malek. This is not a normal Malek or angel. And so it's behold, I sent a Malek or an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I prepared. Verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. Yodevade's name is in this special, mighty, and obviously divine um, messenger that has the ability to pardon sins. An angel can't pardon sin. Not a normal angel. And the angels don't have God's name in them. Verse 22, so this has to be a divine being. Verse 22, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thy enemies and an adversary unto thy adversaries. For my angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And so anyway, the rabbis came up with this concept of Metatron, okay? And in Sanhedrin 38b, that's in the Talmud, it refers to Metatron as the angel whose name is the same as his master's. This is what they have written. This is the history of Judaism that you need to understand, that this concept of the Messiah being divine is not just a Christian concept. It came from the Jews, ladies and gentlemen. It came from the Jews. Now, let me read to you something that could, that was going to shock any Jew, probably, that has never heard of this, because I know from birth many of you Jews are taught 
that Yeshua's name is really Yeshu, and he's to be despised, and he, he was a false prophet and all that. That's what you're taught from birth. But that is not true. And I hope this is changing some of you and how you're viewing uh, Jesus, and, and you're willing to take a, a good look. And, um, and if you are, please go to Michael Brown's uh, excellent website, uh, The Real Messiah. And yeah, I was finishing up on that too, by the way. I forgot to mention another scripture that is even rabbis can't argue the fact that it's God's overall purpose for all of humanity to keep the Torah. Isaiah 66 is, is in the Hebrew and it's clear. Isaiah 66, verse uh, 22 to 24. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says Yodevahi, so shall your seed and your name remain. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass when one Rosh Hadish, right? Uh, Jews that are listening to me, you understand what that is? That's the new moon. All right? And you know that all the Moedim or the appointed times or God's holy days for those who don't you know understand Hebrew or the Jewish background? Uh, the holy days of God are listed in Leviticus chapter 23, and you have to cite the moon to be able to accurately keep those days. All right, and so and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another. That's the way they did it back during the times of Moses, or Moses, and of course in, during the first century. And now what the Jews have, they develop a calendar that's done by estimation of the new moon. It's, it's close, but the, the real, the biblical way and the historical way they did it, they cited the moon. So anyway, verse 20, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh, it doesn't say just the Jews, all of mankind shall come to worship before me, says the master. And for those who don't, in verse 24, and they shall look forth and look upon the bodies of the men. These aren't men that are alive in the flames. Is their dead bodies are, are there in, in the valley of uh, Gehenna that have transgressed against me and their worm, the worm that obviously comes, and I know there's some scriptures that refer to a man as a worm, but in this context, it's certainly referring because it talks about the bodies already. So it's talking about the worms on the bodies. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be in a pouring into all flesh. And it's talking about the carcasses with the worms on them. All right, so... Um, so I just wanted to point that out, that Michael Brown need to pray for him. He doesn't understand that all of mankind will be keeping the Shabbat and the holy days. And, you know, God is calling people right now, whether they're Jews or non-Jews, uh, to become his bride, to be the first fruits of understanding that all of mankind uh, has the benefit of keeping his whole Torah. It's not just the Jews. And so anyway. Where are we at now in this interesting Bible study? So Metatron. So I'm going to read this article from Wikipedia, and I'm aware that sometimes Wikipedia is not accurate, but uh, I did check the sources. They do have the sources there. And when you check the sources, uh, and if they are verified, then you know, I, use, uh, I use Wikipedia. And so anyway, this is what it says about Metatron here. The Talmud relates that Elijah ben Abiyah, Abiyah, a rabbi and Jewish religious authority born in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, sometime before 70 CE, also called Achar, or other, as he became an apostate, uh, entered paradise and saw Metatron sitting down, an action that is not done in the presence of God. Elijah ben Abayah, 
therefore looked to Metatron as a deity and said, heretically, heretically, okay, <laughs> but they call him um, heretic, okay, there are indeed two powers in heaven. The rabbis explained that Metatron had permission to sit because of his function as a heavenly scribe, writing down the deeds of Israel. And this is in the Babylonian Talmud, folks, the Haggagah 15a, all right? And so, of course, uh, it says the Talmud states it was proved to Elijah that Metatron could not be a second deity by the fact that Metatron received 60 strokes of the fiery rods. This is demonstrate that Metatron was not a god. But anyway, the purpose of me reading that to tell you that the concept was Jewish, folks. It is not just a Christian concept. And now, the Babylonian Talmud mentions Metatron in two other places, Sanhedrin 38b, as in boy, and Avadah Zara 3b. And since Sanhedrin 38b, one of the minim tells Rabbi Edith that Metatron should be worshipped because he has a name like his master. I just read that to you. And Rabbi Edith uses the same passage in Exodus 23, verse 21. We just read that to show that Metatron was an angel and not a deity and thus should not be worshipped. Furthermore, as an angel, Metatron has no power to pardon transgression, nor was he to be received even as a messenger of forgiveness. But what does the scripture say? We got to go to the scriptures. The scripture says that this messenger did have power to pardon sin. Okay? And so this being was a deity. And uh, Elijah, because, you know, the, the rabbi, well, you don't know, uh, or some of you don't know, that the rabbis, that's all they do in the Talmud, they argue plus, and it's, it's a bunch of arguments basically on interpretation of the scriptures. So, so Elijah ben Abaha is right that Metatron is a deity and that Metatron is a type of the Messiah in some way. In some ways he is, all right? And that's true. There are two powers in heaven. That is true. He was, and, that, and that was not heretical. That is a true statement. And I can prove it just using the Old Testament, folks. I can just prove it just you. I already have, all right? All right, so the name of the Messiah is found in Tanakh. I know this conservative rabbi that I was talking to he said, well, the name of the Messiah is not even in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's in the Tanakh, folks. I know you're familiar with the word Jesus. Jesus is a transliteration of Joshua. All right? It's uh, Jesus in Greek. It's equivalent to Joshua. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. All right? Yeshua is a contraction of the Hebrew name Yahshua, which means God says or Y-H-V-H, the Yodevahe says, which in English is translated Joshua. So Joshua means Yahweh says, all right? Oh, Yahweh says. Yeshua is the masculine form of the Hebrew word Yeshua, Yeshua, which means salvation. It means salvation. Yeshua, that, that's what means salvation. And so when I look this word up, All I got to do is type in salvation here in Genesis 49. I think that's the first time the word salvation is used in, in Genesis in the entire Bible, matter of fact. Let me see. Um, verse 49, verse 18. And so, yeah, Yeshua, and that's what it means. And so that is the master's name. That's the Messiah's name, Yeshua. It is, and whenever you see the word salvation in King James and, and most 
cases it's referring to Yeshua, and that is <laughs> that is Jesus's Hebrew name, Yeshua. And so that name is revealed in the Old Testament. And what I think is interesting, and let me verify this, I think that's the first time the word salvation is used, is used in the context of Jacob, which the root, okay, of Jacob, right, a heel, is associated with that. So let me type this in here. I just want to verify it. Salvation. Yes. Uh, Jacob says, this, I have waited for thy Yeshua, O Master. And who's the Father's Yeshua? Who's salvation? It's Yeshua. Yeshua is the embodiment of salvation. Philo, who is a contemporary of Yeshua or Jesus, he lived around the time. He was a Jewish writer born around 20 BC. He wrote the Logos, the Word, was the instrument that Yodevai had created the universe. And you can read up on what Philo wrote about. It goes hand in hand with the concept of what Christians believe or, or people who believe that Yeshua is a Messiah. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that this Bible study has ultimately revealed to you the truth about who um, Yeshua is in the Old Testament. I did not use at all, New Testament for a reason, because you have to know, you should know how to prove who the Messiah is just using the Old Testament and Jewish writings. I could have gone into further detail about this, but I want this program to be simple. I want it to be a simple program. And uh, here's another uh, reference from one of the greatest Jewish rabbis of all time, Rashi. Rabbi means teacher, okay, so I'll just say one of the greatest teachers. It says, on this day, Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16, verse 30, on the mountain of the master, I think I already quoted this, Isaac's ashes shall be seen, heaped up, and standing for atonement. And that's uh, Rashi's commentary on Genesis 22, verse 14. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, I hope this program is very helpful, and I hope that it gives you the ammunition. Not that I want you to use ammunition, but it gives you the tools to be able to prove that Yeshua is the Messiah using the Old Testament. Of course, I could have gone to the Daniel prophecy that it prophesied that there would be an anointed one coming um, before the destruction of the temple. There's, there's other ways to do it. Now, if this is for Judas listening to me right now, uh, let me just say this. Yeshua's name is in the Old Testament, folks. It's translated uh, Joshua. But salvation, that's his name. All right? And he, his purpose is to bring peace. And he is divine. And there has to be someone that will redeem and save us because we all need saving. Jewish people need saving as well as any other person. You know what happened in the Garden of Eden? He blocked off the uh, the tree of life, which is symbolic of immortality because, hey, he stated here 
I'm going to read it to you in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 24. And he states here, So he drove out the man and placed it at the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubims, or cherubims, cherubims, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And he said here, in verse 22, and the master said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now that now he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so this applies to Jews as any other human being. We all are destined to die if we don't have a redeemer or a savior. All right. And in Isaiah chapter 25, and I know that Jews believe in the resurrection, but Isaiah chapter 25, again, I'm not using the Old Testament, is right here, Isaiah chapter 25. It says, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things, thy counsels of old and faithfulness of truth. For thou hast made up a city and a heap of a defense city, a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, and it shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee, the city of the terrible nation shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy, and is a stress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Verse 5 of Isaiah 25. Thou shalt bring down the noise of the strangers as the heat in the dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud, the branch of the terrible one shall be brought low. Verse 6, and in this mountain shall the master of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the leaves will well refine. Verse 7, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering. That Hebrew word for covering is lot, interestingly. And it's a masculine noun indicating a shroud, a covering. It is the noun for H3874, which is LUTS, okay, the wrapper cover. And let me go back to this here. All right. And it indicates the inability of people to perceive Yodevaye, and this works clearly. This is Jews and non Jews alike. The majority in the world don't understand the true God. In this verse, Isaiah uses the noun and verb forms together, meeting a covering that covers or the shroud that enfolds. This is a reference to the power of Messiah's redemptive work to open the eyes of the blind. And so what God is going to do is, is release the blindness and uncover the blindness and, and help people to see because he's going to pour his Holy Spirit upon their whole earth. And that's in Joel, okay? Again, I'm not going to the New Testament. Isaiah 25, verse 8, he will swallow up death and victory. And so death is going to be swallowed up in victory. That's not a Christian concept. That's in the uh, Tanakh. And the master will wipe away tears from all their faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth. For the master has spoken. So that word rebuke in Hebrew means hapa. It means uh, reproach, scorn, tongue. And it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our Elohim. We have waited for him, and he will save us. He will save us. Yasa. He will save us. This is the master. So there is a God that saves us. 
we have waited for him and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Verse 10, for in this mountain shall the master, shall the hand of the master rest and Moab shall be trodden down under him even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. Verse 11, and he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them as he that swimmeth spread it forth. His hands to swim, and he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. And the fortress of the high fort of thy wall shall he bring down, lay low, bring to the ground, even to the dust. And so that's an incredible scripture. Uh, matter of fact, Isaiah 25, I think all the way to 27, is talking about what's going to happen when the Messiah comes back. All right, and uh, let me just read Isaiah 53. Again, Isaiah 53 is, actually, I haven't read it yet. I read some portions of it. But it's so clear to me who this is talking about, folks. And you can read this in the Hebrew. It's the same thing. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who believes our report? To whom is the arm of Adonai revealed? Let me read this in the King James. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the master revealed? Verse 2. But he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Again, this is not referring to the nation of Israel. It's talking about an individual. But he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. So has the whole Jewish nation been cut off? No. Obviously, this is not talking about the Jewish nation. It's talking about an individual. Verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Can you say that for Jews, folks? No, this is not talking about a nation, folks. This is talking about an individual who was perfect, obviously, because it says there was no deceit found in his mouth, and he has done no violence, and he made his grave with the wicked, his grave, okay? So is the whole entire nation of Israel dead? No. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich, and this is the reason why they don't read this. Uh, They don't have this included in the Torah portion, because they don't want people to know the truth that Yeshua is the Messiah. All right, so it's just a, a blindness, a denial. Uh, verse 9, and he had made his, his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, just like Isaac, right? Uh, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the master shall prosper in the hand. Verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil 
with the strong because he has poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The Jews certainly don't fit this profile. It's talking about an individual, whether you want to believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen. It's talking about an individual. It's not talking about it's not talking about uh, 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 a nation. And so that's something that uh, you have to understand. And so this is what I read the conservative rabbi. He got angry and I read this to him, I think. Uh, it says right here, and I'm going to read this in the JPS version. It says, and the Lord said, for as much as the people draw near and with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but they have removed their heart far from me, and their fear of me is the commandment of men learned by rote. Okay? And that is the problem with Judaism. You know, I love this and good things. I took a course in Judaism. There's some good things in it. A lot of what they teach is accurate, but there's some huge mistakes that they teach. And because of that, they view the orator for those who are listening to me for the first time and don't understand the way Jews think, they think there's two Torahs. Torah is the instructions and doctrines of, of God. And they think that the Bible is one form of Torah, and then there's another Torah that is called the Orator, which is the interpretation of the rabbis. And that's what Yeshua fought when he was on the earth. Uh, he was, and this is uh, history, you know, if you don't, Jews that are listening to this, if you don't believe that the New Testament is is holy written, and I know you believe it's a historical doctrine, uh, uh, a historical document, okay? And it tells you of what Jesus went through and what he what he said. But anyway, Isaiah 29, verse 13 says plainly that it's talked about the oral Torah. And some things are right about in reference to the oral Torah, and some things are wrong, okay? But the written word of God trumps any uh man's interpretation if that interpretation does not go with the bible's interpretation and so that's the problem with our jewish brethren and for those who are christians don't take this information and don't be arrogant and and, and boast against the the branches and so forth what you should do is take this information and be humble about it and present it to them in a humble way also, I would refer them to Michael Brown. Uh, he has a, a website called therealmessiah.com. I think it's .orga.com. And let me just uh, let me type it up in here. I think it's therealmessiah. Let's see, realmessiah.com. Yeah, therealmessiah.com. And he has all his debates. I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, he is an expert in proving that Yeshua is the Messiah to Jewish people. And so I would refer this uh, website to, to Jews that you know that are open to trying to understand who the Messiah really is. It's called therealmessiah.com, realmessiah.com. And a little disclaimer, he doesn't understand that all of humanity should be keeping the Shabbat in the holy days. But um, we have to um, use wisdom and and if something is true that somebody's teaching, you accept it. And if it's not, you reject it. All right. Also, the Messianic Prophecy Bible. Um, that's another website uh, that I would have people go to. Uh, it's called Free Period 
MessianicBible.com, free, period, like a period, free, period, MessianicBible.com. It's called the Messianic Prophecy Bible Project. You can type that into Google. And this project is to come up with a the best translation ever in, in the Old Testament. And it's going to be in Hebrew and English. And it's going to have on the side every, it's going to refute every rabbinical argument uh, in the text that they try to say that it's not talking about Jesus or Yeshua. And it's going to refute that. And it's going to refute it using just the um, Tanakh and also other Jewish writings. And so uh, they're supposed to be coming out with the first book, Bear Sheet or Genesis, uh, soon. But a free copy will be given to every Jew. I know that. I think also Christians, too, but certainly Jews. Uh, they're going to give a free copy. It's also going to be online, too. And so I would re- refer any Jew, because there's so many objections that they've come up with. <laughs> and Michael Brown, I think, has covered every single one of them. And this Messianic Bible will certainly uh, be the icing on the cake. And so my fellow Jewish brethren, uh, get the the answer, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus volume. Uh, if you don't want to get the volume, go to the realmessiah.com website, and you have all kind of debates. He debates uh, some famous rabbis and so forth. And, of course, I think he wins every debate. <laughs> I'm not being biased. I just think that he has the facts. Um, and then also this, uh, go to this website, free.messianicbible.com, the Messianic Prophecy Bible Project. The time, my, my uh, fellow Jewish brethren, to, to realize that Yeshua is the Messiah has come. And I just want to say this, that Yeshua is number two in command, folks. Uh, that is clear in the Old Testament. Uh, he is the son. All right. He's the son. And but he comes in his father's name. He comes in God's name. All right. Those that you call father, Jews, you, Abba, the true Elohim. Yes. He comes in his father's name. And he is the angel of the master. He is a divine messenger. And the divine messenger is not greater than the person that they're giving messages for. So I just want to point that out. Even though the New Testament even emphatically goes, even made statements uh, in the New Testament says, my father is greater than I and so forth. But, you know, for the purpose of this Bible study, I didn't want to go to the New Testament. I didn't want to quote me uh, scriptures or, or, well, I know for some Jews that are listening to this, you don't think they're scriptures. But I know some Jews that believe in Messiah do. And, of course, uh, Christians that listen to this, you understand that the entire Bible is scripture. So so I hope this uh, this is of help to Jews and Christians. And for those who still have objections, please look at those reference materials. You can always email me uh, at Kennard, K-E-N-N-A-R-D, K-E, two N's as in Nancy, A-R-D, at MercifulServanceOfGod.com. I hope this program has been very helpful to you. May y'all bless and keep you, and y'all willing, I'll be available uh, to speak to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 